Hi, this is David Flowers, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Pastor Dave and worship team. We have some talented musicians here at Grantham, don't we? Helping lead us into worship. Thankful they're using their gifts for the Lord in that way. Good morning, Grantham Church. Good to see you all in worship. If you are visiting with us, my name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. Our children are invited to Kids on Worship at this time. If you want to do that, you can do that, or you can stay in here with us as we continue to worship and open up the scriptures together. We are concluding a series, a summer series this morning, a series where we've looked at table scenes with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and how we can discover the blessings that God provides when we experience his radical hospitality and share it with others. We've seen how we can discover grace, community, hope, an invitation into God's mission, trust in God's good future. And last week we heard stories from the table. Several of our church members, if you were here, you heard them share how they've discovered God's blessings through meals with others in the past. One of those members was Jeff Williams. You may remember some of his story. Uh, Jeff shared his story where he was accepted by his future in-laws at the time, despite his appearance back in the 1970s. Uh, we weren't able to show that picture last Sunday, so as promised, here it is for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> and Jeff isn't here this morning, but I told him I was gonna do this. And you gotta remember, this was the 1970s, so this would have been a little suspect back then, but this is normal today, yeah? So we have a bass player that looks sort of like that. And I like it, he's trying to be like Jesus, you know? Well, a reminder that we shouldn't judge people by their appearances, whatever they look like, right? It's certainly not something Jesus would do, so we're we're thankful that uh, uh, some people want to be friends with Jeff Williams, you know, he's, his wife, he's got me and me. Sure, there's some others in there. I'm just kidding. Jeff, we love you if you're watching this. Before we look at the focus for the final message in our series, I want to remind you that next Sunday is fall kickoff here at Grantham Church. You may have seen that in the slides. And with the startup of old and new ministries, we also have a new sermon series that's coming next week. Here's a, a brief summary of that series. As followers of Jesus, we're called to embrace his teachings and his example, proclaim the truth of the gospel and engage the world around us by embodying the good news. So what does that look like today. I think this is a, a, a timely, a really timely series. Because as we read the Bible, we can see that it takes a mixed view of all human cultures, 
While many elements of culture can be affirmed, we must avoid uncritically accepting aspects of culture without first examining them in the light of Christ and the gospel. Therefore, as disciples, we must learn to contextualize the gospel and use cultural discernment as we live in the world as Jesus' followers. Amen? That's what we're going to be looking at. So I hope that you'll join us for this seven-part sermon series, Christ and Culture. We'll, we'll be invited to apply the gospel to every area of life as we seek to follow Jesus in a fallen world. Please be in prayer for that series and for the preparation of those messages uh, because there's, you know, there's some heavy stuff I think that we'll be addressing in this series and uh, helpful stuff too and things that I hope will encourage you. Well, let's go to God in prayer now. Let's open up our hearts to him to receive his word for us. Father, we thank you yet for another opportunity to be with your family, your children, this particular local body of Christ seeking to follow Jesus, to witness to our neighbors, to testify to the good news. Lord, this morning we embrace all of our feelings, our joys and our sorrows, our faith and our doubt, our questions and our answers. Lord, we come as we are. We thank you, Lord, as we've been reminded this morning that you welcome us as we are at your table. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us as we close out this series today? In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Discovering salvation. This is our final table scene in the Meals with Jesus series. The Last Supper. You've heard of that before probably. The Last Supper where we discover that Jesus didn't leave his disciples with mere words and stories to remember him by, as important and life-changing as they are to us. But rather he gives them and us a commemorative meal that is full of rich meaning symbolism and power. And it's in this meal, the the table of the new covenant, we call it, that we can discover the sort of salvation that Christ offers those who regularly eat and drink in remembrance of him. So let's now look at that familiar scene in Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bible, uh, you can grab that. Or if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you. Or you can open up the Bible app on your phone however you choose to do that. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, Luke 22. We'll read verses 7 through 20. Just going to read this story and, and, and hear it, let the Spirit speak to us, and then we'll go back and unpack it a bit. Luke 22, verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. 
When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, as has been our practice here in this series, let's go back now and unpack these verses just a bit and and hopefully uh, bring some clarity to some of this if you're unfamiliar with what's going on here in this scene. Let's go back to verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. The festival of unleavened bread is the first seven days of the Passover, uh, the Jewish Passover, which you will recall is when the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, remember when God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And this is, in Exodus 12, if you want to go back and look at that, if you've seen uh, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston some some years ago now, uh, you will see this scene play out, right? In order to um, escape death, the Hebrew people dip some lamb's blood on the end of some straw, and then they put it over the doorpost so death will pass them by. And of course... It doesn't pass by the houses of Egypt and the firstborn there die. And God, the next day, moves upon Pharaoh to let his people go. Now, this meal of Passover is what Jesus is celebrating, if you will, here with his disciples, but he's going to change the meaning of it. I want you to follow along and and pick up on that. This is why I think he's looking forward to it so much. So he sent Peter and John ahead, it says there in verse 8, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. And where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Now notice in verse 10 through 12 when Jesus tells them he has clearly thought this out. He is now playing the host of this meal. We've seen other people host Jesus in in this series of the the table scenes in the Gospel of Luke, and here is Jesus playing the host, and he's worked out all the details. As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you, follow him at the house. He enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks for it, so forth and so on. Look at verse 13. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal. This is in what we call the upper room. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Now take a look at this picture here, Jesus at the table, a painting of Jesus at the table. This is probably more accurate to the first century 
Last Supper than say Da Vinci's Last Supper. Uh, I started to show that picture. You, you've probably all seen it. I've actually have it in my dining room. Um, you remember what Jesus said there? If you want in the picture, get on this side of the table. Okay, I know it's a silly pastor's joke. And Da Vinci there in this 16th century painting or 15th century painting uh, paints them all in 15th century garb and all at an upright table sitting in chairs. But it would have been very much, very different in, in the first century. They would have been reclining at a table together. Let's look at that. Um, it's a Roman triclinium, a Roman triclinium. You see the three sides of the table. They sat or reclined with their feet out, which makes sense in the one episode where the woman comes and washes Jesus' feet as they are sticking out away from the table. The host would sit second to the left. So in this picture, it looks like Jesus is depicted as the one mostly in white there. Again, look, second to the left. And his trusted friend is to the right. This is tip, the typical pattern. And we believe that is the apostle John, because remember John leans over and whispers to Jesus after he says someone's gonna betray him. He says, who is it? You know, so we believe that was John. And then we also know that Jesus dips the bread in the cup and passes it on to who? the one who will betray him, which is on the other side, who's sitting in the seat of the guest of honor. Hmm. And Jesus was very intentional about that. Even at that very last moment before Satan enters Judas, Jesus is expressing love to his betrayer. Something to think about. And then some have suspected that maybe at the other end of the table where the servant sits is Peter. <laughs> right? The one who says, don't wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. Jesus always trying to teach Peter a lesson in servant leadership. Let's look at verse 15. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Now, why has Jesus been very eager about this meal? He's celebrated Passover with his disciples several times, but he knows this is the last time but he has something special planned because he is, as I said, going to change the meaning of it. You have celebrated this meal in one way, remembering what God has done in the past. Now you will remember what I am going to do for you and will continue to remember until I return and bring the kingdom of God in its fullness. So I think that's what Jesus is referring to. I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That is the reign and the rule of God fully come upon the earth. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Now in the typical uh, Passover meal, there were four cups that were usually shared. So this is the first one, a, a cup of welcoming. He says, take this share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Once again, Jesus says this. Now, at that point in the Passover meal, they would reflect on the story. But Jesus is, again, going to point toward the future of what he's about to do. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
So the bread of Passover now represents his broken body. Consider why he says, do this in remembrance of me and not eat this in remembrance of me. You ever thought of that? Do this in remembrance of me. We'll come back to that. So after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. At this point, I imagine if I was one of these disciples listening to what Jesus was doing, knowing that the Jews have practiced this meal for generations, and Jesus is doing this in their presence, that something significant is happening. And Jesus has the authority to do it. And this is what he's doing. Now, he says the new covenant. Now, what might have come into their mind, as I think it was in Jesus' mind, when he refers to the new covenant? Look at Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. I think he was referring to what the prophet said here. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Right? A new covenant. Not the Passover, but the Lord's Supper. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. In verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I think this is a reference to the spirit being given, which Jesus will talk about as he journeys up to the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? He promises them the advocate, the great counselor, the one who will remind them of what he said and what he taught, the one who will give them power when they go before judges and kings to witness to the gospel of Christ despite persecution. This is the giving of the Spirit. Verse 34, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. They'll all have access to the Spirit. Reminds us of what Joel said in chapter 2. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Remember this. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So Jesus sees himself establishing this new covenant. Now, what is a covenant? Over at the Bible Project, we've shown some Bible Project videos before. If you don't know what that is, just Google that. The Bible Project, they've got some great stuff over there. They define it this way. A covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. They're often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they are different from a contract because they are relational and personal. You can think of marriage as a covenant. Now, some people have entered into that in a, in a contractual sort of way, and that doesn't go well. A covenantal way is what God has in mind. And so this new covenant that Jesus establishes is to receive the forgiveness of sins and God's empowering spirit to help us live lives of self-giving love, which Jesus will show his disciples. Remember when he takes off his outer garment and wraps a towel around his waist and he washes the disciples' feet. 
taking on the role of a servant. He's showing them, this is how much I love you and you are to do this for others. This is what love is. This, and this is how the whole world will know that you belong to me is how you love one another. Because of Jesus, we can live righteously and partner with him as he renews the world. Therefore, all who partake of his table and communion, which we will do here in just a moment, identify themselves with this covenant agreement, thereby affirming the story, the promises, and its meaning for us. And you can think of baptism, which we had six of those last Sunday. Wasn't that great? It was very special for me as I baptized my oldest son. A baptism is sort of that initiation into discipleship. It says, like a marriage ceremony, I'm not ashamed of this person. (laughs) I make vows, I make commitment, and I want to recognize that's a communal thing. It's it's among God's people. You know, that's why we used to say uh, at weddings, if if anybody sees a reason why these two shouldn't be joined together, speak now or what? Forever hold your peace. Some of you still remember that. It's a communal event. You're seeking God's blessing on this, and and you say, I'm not ashamed of this person, and the same with baptism. And so communion is truly, I think in its truest nature, a renewal of our baptismal vows. It's saying, I decided to follow Jesus, and I still want to follow Jesus and enter into this covenant with all of its stipulations, with all the things that we've agreed upon and recognizing the promises of God, recognizing the story of God, all of its meaning and its, and its identity for me and its purpose for my life. We can partake in this table. We can identify ourselves with Christ in this covenant agreement, affirming the story, the promises, and its meaning for us. So what else can we gather from this Last Supper scene? What can we say about its meaning and its application for us today? As we've done each week in this series, we've had table takeaways. Here's our final takeaways based on this passage in Luke 22. Number one, we see that disciples are to remember Jesus' death and sacrifice through communion. As often as you do this, right, the Scriptures say, and we want to do that often here. We do that once a month here at Grantham. Remember Jesus' death and sacrifice until he comes. We say that in our communion liturgy. Number two, we see that we have been freed from sin and Satan's power. Just as the Hebrews were freed from the power of Pharaoh and in slavery, Jesus frees us from slavery to sin and to Satan and his power. Jesus, our Savior, leading a new exodus we're no longer slaves. You say, where do you get that? Well, 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. It's the Apostle John sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. Number three, we see in this mill that there is a new world order. The kingdom of God established by Christ which looks like his life, his teachings. And folks in the church, this is the one that we pledge allegiance to. The nature of allegiance is there are no others. This is it. 
And so it reminds me of uh, the early church father who said, in, in the face of accusations of people who were persecuting Christians, that they don't follow Roman customs and, the, and they don't want to do what Romans do and, and worshiping idols and, and going to the Colosseum and viewing the violence and participating in immorality. They said, look, we don't just obey the law, we supersede it because we follow Christ. And we show you what it's really like to be human and to treat other people as human, made in the image of God with dignity and worth and so forth and so on. So it's not the Bill of Rights. It's not the Constitution of any country that we abide by and we have in highest allegiance. It is Christ, His gospel, His table. Amen. Number four, the church is his holy nation. Peter would describe it that way. Chapter 2, verse 9, 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9, a holy nation of priests. We're all priests. Yeah, I, I have a full-time job. You've afforded me that to serve among you, to pastor and shepherd you. But you are all priests. We are all part of this holy nation. We are a called-out community. The ecclesia, the word we get for church in the Greek, literally means to be called out to be separate, right? The idea to be in the world but not of the world. We are God's people. We are God's children who come to his, his table. We testify to the new world order. We pledge allegiance to the king. We say we're part of this nation, right? To embody the gospel to our neighbors, to love others as he's loved us, and to continue his ministry of reconciliation. This is what we're called to do. And then number five, this is where it hits home for us. And I've challenged us to think about it this way. We don't just have a communion table here in the sanctuary this morning. Our tables at home or our dorm room can be places where people discover God's salvation. You think about that. This Meals with Jesus series is an invitation for us to see our table as a place of intersection with other people's lives where we can offer the forgiveness of God to them. We, we can help them to discover the very life of God that says, come as you are because God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because you'll never be as you should be. And I love you the way God loves me with the love of Jesus. It's the table where we discover our true identity. We don't get it from the world. We don't get it from TikTok. We don't get it down at the bar. We get it from Jesus, and we can discover that at the table as we embody his presence, as we are his hands and his feet to our neighbors. We find true meaning. We find true purpose in life. This is what I believe the Lord is inviting us into here at Grantham Church. Listen to this closing excerpt from Tim Chester's book. I just love this quote. I'm going to read it slowly so we can take it in. He says, in a busy culture with people desperate to succeed, we practice in communion resting on the finished work of Christ. In a fragmented culture that is radically individualistic, we practice in communion belonging to one another. In a dissatisfied culture of constant striving 
we practice in communion, receiving this world with joy is a gift from God. In a narcissistic culture of self-fulfillment, we practice in communion joyous self-denial and service. In a proud culture of self-promotion, we practice in communion humility and generosity. All these practices are habit-forming and so seep into the rest of our lives. Now look at that. You know, I think about this a lot. The gospel of Jesus, of Jesus, right? Not of white nationalism, not of generic evangelicalism, but the gospel of Jesus is so radical, is so counter what the world offers us. But isn't it just what our souls long for? Amen. Tim goes on to write, after all this has been said, remember Jesus didn't say, think this in remembrance of me. No, brothers and sisters, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, let us do this in the Spirit's power so we might discover God's salvation on the earth. Here's some questions for reflection and response. And I really encourage you to think about what you've heard this morning. And if you've been with us through this series, reflect on some of the messages and and ask the Lord, number one here, what what has God been saying to you? What's, What's God said to me through this series? What new insights or invitations have you received with meals with Jesus? And then number two, will you seek to live out a table-centered faith? Brothers and sisters, there is nothing like the church when the church is following Jesus and being Christ with others at the table. I hope that you will do that and that anyone who encounters a member of Grantham Church will know that we are a people who love, worship, and follow the God who looks like Jesus and is about leading others to this God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we so thank you for the love and the grace, for the mercy and the hope that we encounter at your table that you love us as we are, not as we should be, because we'll never be as we should be. Though in that acceptance, Lord, you call us to grow up into you. Help us to remember those things as we partake in communion this morning. And now as we reflect on those baptismal vows, as we reflect on our identity and the meaning and the purpose that you give us in this new covenant, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us words of wisdom, words of challenge, and words of comfort.
as we respond to you in faith. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.